We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came Aloha and thanks for listening to Layman's Lounge. Pretty excited today because we do a lot of talking about neo-Calvinists, Abraham Kuyper, Herman Bavink, the uh, the Bavink nephews and all, all these folks. But um, we a huge part of this neo-Calvinist stream is one that we haven't one we haven't talked about at all, actually, I think, in in, in detail. And that is Herman Doiverd, um, which is a philosopher from the Netherlands and. He is, everyone loves this guy. <laughs> and so I have never just, I'm going to be forthright. It is extremely hard for me to read Herman Doivert and understand, honestly, even just a few lines. But but everyone that I glean from, um, actually half of them say that he's very difficult to read as well. But everyone I read gleans from him so much. So it's really exciting today that we have Danny Strauss, who um, just released a book, a book that he edited and contributed large, large portions to, and it's called Discovering Doiverd, and it's edited by Danny Strauss, DFM Strauss, from, from the good folks at Paideia Press. Um, Danny, aloha. Thank you for joining us, and can and it's late over there in South Africa, so I appreciate you jumping in here. Wonderful to be with you. Please continue. What? Um, I mean, bef- there, there's so many questions, but before we jump in, can you just give us a, a, a biographical sketch of who Herman Doiverd is? He is a person who studied law on the Dutch background and then eventually realized that the philosophy of law is quite important for what he did in the field of law. And so he started to go into general philosophical issues. And in his, in August in 1926, it turns out that he was already very well versed in uh, the domain of legal philosophy and philosophy in general. And that led to his uh, three volume work of 1935-36 on the philosophy of the idea of law, but it was translated as the cosmonomic idea. And then the 40s and 50s witnessed the blossoming of a truly original and gifted scholar. And most of what we benefit from in the book, Discovering Duevet, uh, took shape between 1930 and 1958, perhaps. So that was a fantastic experience for anyone to slowly move into his thought and see what he did. And therefore, the title is quite appropriate, Discovering David. I can assure, I can assure you that, that anyone who has heard of David before will read a number of things not, which you haven't heard from him from before. <laughs> yeah, when, you, when I saw that the book was announced, I saw a little uh, a, a flurry on social media. A lot of folks were excited to get it because there's a bunch. There's it's a it's a pretty big book. Many chapters from you. There's um, David Koisis has a contribution. Um, Joseph Boot has a contribution, and so there's there's quite a bit in there. 
Can you give us a, a high level view of, of what the book, is it translations of it, of his work? Or is it a systematic overview by chapter on, on the implications of his thought or what? No, it's a book that intends to make understandable the basic contours of his philosophy. It includes five or six sections that was taken from his own original work. Uh, that is functionally well positioned within the work. And then uh, you will find that, first of all, the first few chapters dealt with the issue of ultimate commitments. And that in itself is a very important issue, because in this regard, Ruiviet anticipated the developments within the philosophy of science of the 20th century. Uh, you would just have, you just have to look at the inscriptions on the back page. One of them tell the story of von Pearson who said that if they read Dewey, those guys from the philosophy of science angle, they would not have found it necessary to publish what they have published because Dewey already did that. Unbelievable! And, that's a that's an un, I saw that and I. That that is saying a lot. I mean, and I was looking at the people, the people who reference Herman, and not everyone says yes, we agree everything with where he landed, but he's like Kuiper, he makes us think about things that we should be thinking about. So you've got Bonson, Nancy Piercy, Hans Ruckmacher, Francis Schaefer, Cornelius Van Til, Vern Poitras, all these people lauded him, though they didn't agree with everything. These were people who really appreciated him. I'm curious for you, just one last biographical thing. When did you first discover him and what what drew you to this man's work? It was in 1962, 63 on the edge that I came from a history class at school and asked my dad, we've discussed the French Revolution and the slogan, freedom, liberty and equality. And he said uh, a number of things. Lockean background, the radical democracy of Rousseau, and so on. And I said, but why don't I read these explanations you are giving to me in the history textbooks? And then my dad said he was a political philosopher. It's because they don't know political philosophy. And then I asked, now what is philosophy? And as I usually say, this is the question I should not have asked. Because he turned my whole life around, and I'm never sorry that I explored what was available in his thought. And the purpose of the book, in a sense, is to show something of the internal structure of his philosophy. First of all, the deepest ultimate commitments, then an analysis of reality in its structural diversity of modal aspects and entities. David calls it individuality structures. And at the same time, uh, making or having an impact on what is going on at, in the academia. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the huge benefits of study of Graviat, because he first of all said, let me try and see if my own systematic distinctions can help us a bit further within this discipline of law. And if it does, then we can move on and generalize it and create a whole new philosophy. And that is what happened. The book is so structured that you follow the footsteps of these 
initial initiatives of David himself. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, about 27 chapters come from various angles. People also living within issues of everyday life. And at the same time, a number of these issues are related to what you can find in the special sciences, the natural sciences and the humanities. And uh, I've explored those issues in more detail somewhere, but this is now a new look. And I'm very thankful that we have managed to get the cooperation of the people we did get. A compelling aspect of the book is in addition to having so many chapters, there's so many chapters dedicated to very practical things. It's not just ethereal, eight time removed. It's really, I mean, there's even a chapter called just normal living or something like that um, by, uh, I think it's the Baptist guy in, in the Netherlands. Um, That's Baston, Andrew Baston. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what, what a, yeah. So, um, uh, one more step back. If someone was to come to you, someone who likes Abraham Kuyper and Herman Bavink and theology, okay, so they 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 appreciate and they know the importance of the the atonement and the covenants, but they also understand that the Lord is the Lord of every square inch. But they just sort of hang out in the theology world. Why? Why is it a benefit for for people who for for anyone to come and read philosophy, especially reformational philosophy? See, what happened is that most of the theologians were still caught up in thought patterns dating back to medieval philosophy and even Greek philosophy. Mm -hmm. I remember the, one of the volumes of Balfang on reformed theology. I read that he said. Although Greek philosophy is not Christian, it is extremely useful to explain the truths of the Christian religion. So you can imagine that uh, is an ad admission or an acknowledgement of the fact that he didn't really succeed in getting beyond some mm. of these issues. Mm. And if you go into philosophy itself, the classical perennial problems are unity and diversity. The issue of coherence and uniqueness. So then you can say uh, it is an issue of everything coheres with everything else. Then another issue, which is a typical philosophical issue, is the relationship between constancy or persistence and change. And that is, sorry, I've had. Uh, ablation in April of this year, one in 85, 96 as well. Now sometimes there's a little drip. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, that issue is extremely important, but it became in its substance concept form, the background of the theological doctrine of God, God as revealed or God as hidden. And it's amazing how these things still echo the legacy of the Greek substance concept. Mm. If you proceed, then the most general perspective you can account for is the reality of isms, ismic orientations. I've mentioned now the first four aspects, unity, diversity, coherence, constancy, and change. But then you can proceed by 
lifting out the modal aspects and their absolutizations. The biotic and the Halabas 8-9 trends in biology during the uh, 20th century, the, the psychic, the psychologistic trends you find, and you've got uh, logic and logicism. We tried to reduce everything to logic like Burton Russell. Historicism took the scene from the beginning of the 19th century up to the 20th century. Then the linguistic turn came and they made a switch from the organic metaphor of the 19th century to the linguistic turn, so-called, of the early 20th century. And so I can proceed to all the various aspects showing how they were in the grip of one-sided, monistic, ethnic orientations. And that is only through the non-reductionist ontology of Duvet that you find an, a sufficient or a satisfactory explanation of what was really going on here. And the theologians, unfortunately, did not succeed, did not succeed in showing that. It, it's worthwhile for anyone reading the book to look at the chapters by Willem O'Neill as well on theology and what is theology. Nice, nice. I've, I've addressed the radical orthodoxy, for instance, in one of the chapters, and there you will find the legacy which is dating back to the pre-Christian age almost, also present. <clears throat> so there's a, a large and a rich legacy of insights which unfold when you are going through discovering Dewey Baird. Absolutely. So uh, um, Dewey Baird was the assistant director of the Kuiper Institute many, many moons ago. That's um, right. What, what was the, and, ever, and, and, and Dewey Baird was indebted to Kuiper um, and Kuiper was a polymath. And so he, he had a philosophy, I guess, you know, but what specifically did did Herman Doivert sort of pick up and run with and develop Kuiper, which Kuiper wanted to happen? He wanted people to develop his work, and and we know that Doivert also wanted people to develop his work. So, um, gotta love that, and we encourage the listeners, right? But what specific? Where is the continuity and the discontinuity? Are you acquainted with the book of John Cock on Kuiper? John Cock on Kuiper. Yes, uh, I've published an, uh, one of the chapters, and it is related to Duvet's article in '39 of Philosopher of Amata, in which he deals with the philosophy of science of Abraham Kuiper, and then he shows in which respects he can't follow in, and what other respects it was possible to follow in and to proceed. Oh yeah. Into yeah. This, this is uh, Steve Bishop. Yes, Steve Bishop was part of the deal. Yes, 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 sir. Okay. And uh, I, I didn't like it to criticize Kuiper, but I fortunately had to do that. And David said something similar in his article on Kuiper's philosophy mm -hmm. of science. Mm -hmm. But uh, the positive stuff, sphere sovereignty, the meaning of being dependent, God's claim over every inch of life, etc. There's a lot of positive stuff that came out. 
and uh, it's within that tradition that this book stands it's not in opposition to it's an exploration of and mm-hmm. that's it's very useful who, who do you see and and we even see this in the book who do you see um who has taken hold of Doiverd's thoughts and Vollenhoven and these reformational philosophers and developed them in addition to you there's a lot of great work out there and and I feel bad because a lot of your not feel bad, but a lot of your stuff, um, Danny, is free online, and I love it. I've actually gleaned, I've gleaned for years from your work out there. So thank you so much. But who else, <laughs> in, in addition to you, who else had? Do you see who has you know ran with uh, Doivert and done well, or at least try to try to start thinking about things implicationally? Yes, I think uh, one can mention uh, Willem O'Neill, who is a very original thinker and has published extensively in various areas in the last 10 years he spent on theology. Yeah. But he has a book on psychology and a number of other disciplines. So that is one of the fascinating figures, a good friend of mine. And he's, and he's isn't he like a Baptist dispensationalist or something like that? <laughs> Plymouth Brethren, Brethren. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, I think that's right. No, his his work is very good. Paideia Press has also released a lot of his stuff, and um, I believe Nelson Klusterman just translated like seven of seven or helped sort of the English on seven of of William Olenhouse's uh volumes. So, anyways, okay, that that's a good one. Okay. Anyone else? You know about the special church in reformational philosophy in Holland, in the Netherlands. They had initially seven or eight, I think there are still, still five or so left. And those chairs are sponsored by the Association for Christian Philosophy. And any student from anywhere in the world can come, enroll, write the PhD and receive the degree from the university where the special chair is established. So I also did something similar in the beginning of the 80s. I proposed to all those English-speaking universities in South Africa to sponsor, to allow us to sponsor such a special chair mm. at their universities. And one of the universities responded positively, and that occurred then by the beginning of the 80s of the previous century. And that was in itself a fascinating experience for me to, to have appointed at the state someone from America, Ed Echeverria, but eventually the cost factor became a bit unbearable and he returned to America. But nevertheless, uh, in one of those classes, there was a young student, Jeremy Ive. And at the moment, he's maybe one of the best informed and well-trained and properly uh, oriented in the philosophy of David and Follenhoven. So that yeah. is another name that I definitely will mention. And of course, within the Netherlands, you have the special chair of professors in Geertsemaar and a number of others. So uh, they still continue the legacy, and it's good to have them as fellow scholars in various fields. Mm. Martin Kerk contributed three contributions to the book and so on. Egbert Schiemann, too. And those figures are exceptional and well in Duvet's philosophy. So I've decided to spread the view as far as possible 
Mm. So the contributors to the book is concerned. And I think uh, the, those who con contributed have succeeded in making that element more visible. Indeed, you you are a champion for reformational philosophy. And I, I believe, like, when I just think about there, who who just, who the Klein Leiden, like I know of, I know folks like you and Steve Bishop and maybe Roy Clauser are really advocates for this reformational philosophy. I did... I will say this, when whenever I think of Herman Doivert, I think of, and like I said, haven't really read him because every time I try, it's confusing, but you have people like Duma and John Frame pushing back against his thought. And you even have this an interaction between he and and Van Til in the Van Til Festra, <laughs> which is yeah, which amazing. But there are... I, and I believe that um, Dory Verd ended up not believing in a historical Adam Adam and Eve. And many have said, oh, a lot of Dory Verdian thought sort of leads to massive speculation and sort of a dissolving into a universalism of sorts. Um, and, and even, you know, Nancy Piercy would... A a lot of these people would say, you know, take the meat and spit the bones, right? But I would just love to hear you speak to that. Like, have you, do you see that too, that there's a danger in unhitching a little bit from historical orthodoxy when we read him? You can read the chapter in Discovering by Willem O'Neill on biology. And then you will see that uh, it's not at all the case that we have to question the historical Jesus. Uh, and the first names that you have mentioned, uh, Joe Booth and the other two, yeah. they, I include them in Roy Clauser in the list. Uh, they are very well oriented and yes, they have made a significant contribution to the legacy of David philosophy. Mm -hmm. but, uh, if you just look at the, the little chapter on what happened to the term evolution, mm. You will see how, some, how how difficult it is for anyone to defend new Darwinism. It runs in, in, into so much troubles. In fact, one of the booklets recently published is the one which has the title "The Philosophy of Hermann Duevert." By my, it was initially a Wikipedia publication, and the interesting thing is that once you start to look into that, it's quickly clear that there are more trouble and problems in the theory of new Darwinian thought mm. than you might, might be willing to concede. Mm. And one of the most critical figures is Stephen Gould, who wrote in 2002 his large work uh, on the structure of evolutionary theory. But I focused my attention mainly on the philosophical foundations of mathematics, physics, biology. And then I wrote a book on the whole history of modern sociology. Mm. And I've published perhaps 25 or 30 structural articles on political theory. And so you can continue. But if you have access to danistrauss.com, then uh, as you have said, it, apparently you already explore the option to look into some of those yeah 
Okay, so as we're closing out, since since the listener know I came a half an hour late, so poor Danny's been sitting there, and I apologize again for that. So our time's cut. <laughs> I just want to just kind of two two closing out questions. With the first one being, um, what makes reformational philosophy or Doiverden philosophy Christian? or reformational or better or more accurate than just uh, other philosophy that, that is done by Christians? I see the key issue is the relevance of a non-reductionist ontology. And whenever you absolutize or deify any one of the modal aspects and make that the ultimate point of orientation for your scholarly endeavors, you run into antinomies. And an autonomy is an intermodal class of laws, and it is more powerful than a contradiction. If I speak about a square circle, I've confused the square and the, and the circle. Mm -hmm. But if I argue against movement like Zeno did in the school of Parmenides, and state granted movement, and then it cancels it, it says, okay, something moving does not move so, so granted, something is moving. Something moving moving does not move within the space it occupies, neither in, within the space it does not occupy. So the antinomy is that movement is possible if and only it's, it's not possible. And so you can run into many examples in all the disciplines. And every time you run into a true antinomy, you know that you have replaced God for what is it's merely a human construction mm, mm. that makes it christian if you can succeed in avoiding the antinomies then you can also proceed by exploring and proclaiming the kingdom of christ in every sphere of life mm. does <clears throat> all right here's here's the last one does does doivert you're speaking of antinomies does he take a stab at the problem of evil for for example I, i'm just if, if you could just give us a, a little glimpse of of um we moving from high level down to like specifics of how would he even come to that question of you know where the classic saying well if god created everything and evil is a thing then therefore god created evil and then you know the, another christian philosophy might say augustine saying well it's the depri like a shadow is a deprivation of life so sin isn't a thing so does herman uh, just maybe you could give us an example of how he or even how you as a doi verden would would even think through something like that or is that yes, a theological issue I, you can look at, sorry, you can look at uh, the philosophy discipline of the disciplines in the last two, three pages deals with the issue of structure and direction. And then you will see how there is an account of evil and the being liberated from, from evil. So that is in two pages or three pages, you will find a very lucid. And in the end, I refer to L. Walters who is also very fluent and at home, so to speak. Very good. Formation of philosophy. So the title runs out. Otherwise, I could have read to you from the philosophy discipline of the disciplines. But just check 
structure and direction, and then you will find it. Absolutely. Well, Danny, um, it was an it was an honor speaking with you tonight, this morning. Uh, you've been laboring for a while in this field, and and you're holding the flame, and it's very clear that you've handed the flame off to other folks. Um, so thank you for your thank you for your work, and um, yeah, I really just appreciate your time. We want to remind folks the book is called Discovering Doiverd. It's edited general editor D. F. M. Strauss. Um, lot lot of contrib contributors from Will and Olenhausen, and um, like like we said, a, bu a bunch of other folks, and that's from Paideia Press. And I just looked this morning, and it looked like it was half off online from Paideia Press. So you might you might do well to go over there and buy it now. Thank you very much for your time. Just one last note: if you want to end a philosophy discussion on a lighter note, you may ask, "What's the difference between matter and mind?" The answer yeah. is, "Doesn't matter. Never mind." <laughs> <laughs> the dad joke. That's a good dad joke. <laughs> Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it to discuss this stuff with you. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to...